The average person spends roughly 10,000 days of their adult life working. So this is 10,000 Days, a podcast exploring career journeys and the ways that we can apply that time to make a positive impact in the world. The goal of this podcast is to offer you tools, strategies, and inspiration to reflect on your own career. We have an amazing lineup of guests joining us this season that will help you navigate your journey, design the career that you want, and find the courage to make it happen. Welcome back to the 10,000 Days Podcast. My name is Ian Brody, here again with Greg Ogiba. And on this episode, we are turning our attention to inclusion, leadership, and organizational development with another great guest, uh, this time coming from the UK, Mark Woods. Mark is the founding senior partner of Aquita and is someone you met at a business seminar a few years back, Greg. Yeah, that, that's right. I met Mark uh, in Spain at a leadership retreat and we hit it off at a, at a coffee machine of all places uh, before he gave his talk on leadership. And I mentioned in this interview, I said, it's probably the best talk I've ever attended. And I mean that. You'll hear how uh, inspiring Mark is and how amazing his story is. And after dealing with adversity as a, as a teenager, and that is a huge understatement, uh, stay tuned for his story. Uh, he overcame that adversity and he became a 12-time Paralympic medalist in swimming, uh, including four gold medals. Yeah, that's right. And, and we talked to Mark uh, early on in the interview about his life journey and how it led him to the world of organizational development and leadership with Aquita, where the topic of inclusion is, is a real key element across all of the business lines and the consulting work there. And I love how there's so much from Mark's life that he applies to his work at Aquita in the spaces of inclusion uh, with resiliency and, and accountability is another big one that we talk about as well. Greg, was there anything else that stuck out for you in this interview? For me, it's, it's all about how Mark talks about uh, the skills that are required to be a world-class athlete and how those are transferable to other areas of life, of your career and, and relationships in general. And further to your comment, Ian, um, about what it means to go that extra mile and to do quality work for the benefit of your team. And he also talks about the the other side and just kind of knowing your limits within that team and, and how, how important it is to take care of yourself. For sure. Yeah. And there's lots of great advice on that from Mark. And to the listeners, if you're going through something difficult or looking to make some changes in your career, please remember to check out our sponsor, To Be Determined. Day and her team have many, many years of addressing these topics uh, that we discuss with Mark and anything else that your career may be throwing at you. To learn more, head to tobedetermined.ca. That's the number two, the letter B, determined.ca. Now, we hope you enjoy our conversation with Mark Woods. Joining us on the podcast now is Mark Woods. Welcome to the 10,000 Days podcast, Mark. Hello, Ian. Hello, Greg. Now, you and Greg met at a conference a couple of years ago at uh, Looking for Coffee. Yeah. Do you, do you remember that, Mark? I certainly can remember meeting you, Greg. Who, who couldn't forget such a, who could forget <laughs> such a memorable experience? Yes, no, I do. Yeah, because you came up to me and said, hey, where can I get a coffee? And I presume you, th- you thought maybe I worked there or something. I said, I don't know. But we, we set off and, and explored the, the grounds and found a coffee machine. You just look like a very helpful person. Excellent. Thank you, Mark. 
Well, it's nice to see you again. And I should say that after that coffee, you gave a, a talk at, a, at this corporate seminar, which was the best talk I've ever seen. I mean that really, really a lot of stuff um, stuck with me and we're going to talk about it uh, today. So awesome cool. to have you have you back. Pleasure. So to start off, Mark, could you tell us a little bit more about your work at Aquita? So uh, Aquita is a business I set up a few years ago, which is a leadership advisory business. Um, it does a range of different things. I lead the executive coaching element and team effectiveness element of the business. We also do assessment and executive search. All of the services have got a thread of inclusion running through them. Uh, and that might well become apparent as we talk further about a little bit about my background. Um, but, but inclusion is something that everybody within our business is passionate about and, and fundamentally believe that it, it makes for better performance within organizations too. And, and so let's talk a little bit about your journey. Um, you are a cancer survivor after receiving diagnosis uh, as a teenager. You are a 12-time Paralympic medalist in swimming, four-time gold medalist. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey? So prior to that cancer diagnosis as a teenager, I, I was a, a county swimmer. I was a, I was a lazy kid, though. I was, I'd turn up for training <laughs> and talk to my friends and didn't really put much effort in. I think we most After were. the diagnosis, <laughs> I had a, a change of uh, attitude, I guess, and started applying myself to it. My father started coaching me. Within a, about uh, six months of having my leg amputated because of this cancer, I was swimming quicker with one leg than before when I had two. And, uh, and then at that moment in time, I didn't really know what being an amputee was going to mean to me, but I knew that I'd be able to swim. I was, I was technically competent enough to know that I would be able to do that. And so threw myself totally into that. And yes, as you mentioned, I had a, had a, a, a great career. I went to five games, won 12 medals. And uh, that, was, that was fabulous. And that, that kind of nudged me into the corporate world because although I'd studied um, business studies and sociology at university, I um, totally immersed myself pun included, uh, intended, um, into swimming. But, but when I came out, I, I did go towards the business world, initially doing the keynote presentations, motivational presentations at organisations. And then over time, that morphed into doing more learning development work, cultural change, leadership advisory work that I do now. Mm -hmm. It's uh, seems like a natural synergy. You know, you talk a lot about uh, in your bio, talking about how to get the best out of yourself and there certainly is sort of a natural synergy there right between uh between competition and and i guess uh business and, and career development yeah my swimming career was all about trying to get the best out of myself although as i went through that career journey uh, of that particular phase of my life i realized that to get the best out of myself i also needed to work well with the people around me both the small team and the broader team. So it was like the proverbial onion. You know, I realized there were more layers to it. And my interest in personal development um, expanded into the development of others and team and organizational development. And so that's kind of how it grew. See, Mark, so, so we're going to continue on this thread, but I just want to come back to your career for a second. Since you've been all over the world and you've, you've been super successful, is there something uh, particular that stands out as, say, the most memorable moment? The key moment for me was a best of times, worst of times moment. 
in Sydney in 2000, um, my father, who'd been my, my coach when I went to my first games, then when, before, then when I moved away from home, he became my number one fan. Just before I was due to go to Sydney, he had a massive stroke, massive brain hemorrhage, died out of the blue, and it shook me to my core. And I didn't really want to go to the games initially. Um, but subsequently, speaking with my family and, um, and talking about everything, everything that had happened, I realised that I couldn't not go really. My dad would have been so disappointed if he wasn't the reason, if he was the reason why I didn't go. So I rebooked my flight, flew out to Sydney, and we subsequently won the gold medal for, for the relay that I was part of. And so that it, it's impossible for me to separate those two things. So that's why I say it, it's it was the best of times and worst of times. But, but it's the standout moment from my career for sure. Did, did that experience with your father? And I'm I'm sorry that, uh, that that's how it happened. Um, but did it give you increased focus, or did was your mental state different during those games? Oh, well, my mental state was all over the place um, in in the run up to it. So I, I literally arrived and had a few days just to get myself ready, um, and I was in tears most of the time. I, you know, he was 57. He was not an old guy. He was 57. Uh, he'd been a he was an air sea rescue guy he was a winchman on a helicopter I only learned to swim because it was a life skill he was a very positive person and um, and it really shook me and yeah I was in tears in the food hall on the bus to the pool I and I and my individual races were were poor by my own standard but I was still strong enough to be part of that relay team but then when it came to the day of the relay I was able to step away from my own personal grief and focus on the part of the team that I was part of and, and not wanting to let them down and trying to turn up for them and supporting them. And, and that kind of helped me get out of that, that grieving mindset that I had, understandably, uh, into the mindset that I preferred, prepared for for four years. And then I was able to deliver. So I don't think it, I necessarily got more strength from my, from my father dying but um in fact i had to had to really kind of mitigate against the emotional turmoil it brought excellent thank, no thank you for that um can, can we go on something that's a, a bit later we wanted to, to talk about but you just touched on it here in terms of the accountability accountability to somebody other than yourself is that is that a something that's important for you to be able to get the best out of yourself to make sure you have accountability partners Absolutely, it's important to me, but I would say it's a double-edged sword for me. And I say that because I definitely drive myself on more if I am um, I'm doing it not just for myself, but for others. And that, that can enable me to tap into the best of me. But equally, it can also derail me uh, and I can find myself forging on against a lost cause because I said that I wouldn't let anybody down. And I, and I, I had an experience. I went to the South Pole, uh, Antarctica several years ago now, almost 10 years ago now. And, um, my mantra as I was skiing with, with my pulling my seven, 70 kilo bulk behind me was I mustn't let them down. I mustn't let them down. And, and I literally was, it was my mantra as I was skiing along. Uh, and then, I failed to realize quite how ill I was getting and in the end collapsed, got medevaced out, only to find out at the Russian air base in Antarctica that I had double pneumonia. And I nearly let them down in the 
biggest way possible by not coming home. So, so that, that, that accountability partner is really useful, but there has to be a cutoff switch, a safety switch um, that I, I certainly didn't have on that occasion. And this actually kind of relates to the concept of discretionary effort, which you cover in your book, uh, Beyond the Call. Yes, you're very well read, Ian. <laughs> Preparation mark. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I got really interested in, um, in discretionary effort um, through the work I was doing with a variety of different clients. I, I was having some interesting conversations about organizations knowing that they had great people but not really understanding why only some of them went the extra mile and offered great customer service or supported their peers. And some of them just did the bare minimum that they were con contracted to do. I, I, I was really interested into that broader concept of engagement, but the sweet spot of discretionary effort where people choose to do more than they're mandated. And I don't mean more hours. I, I just mean better quality, more supportive kind of behaviors. So I did um, some research uh, with New York University to look at what the drivers might be for that. And some of them are organizational and some of them are, are behavioral in terms of what leaders can do. But um, yeah, it's a fascinating area. And it, it's really just about creating the best possible environment and behaving as leaders in the best possible way. And people want to and enjoy working. As simple as that. And, and it's funny because now, just in the last couple of weeks, there's been this new buzzword, quiet quitting, which I guess would be <laughs> quite the contrast. Yeah, well, quiet, quiet quitting, I mean, it was hard to quiet quit when you had to do it when you were in the office every day. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, but it's a little bit easier now when you're, you're managing your own diary and you're, and you're working from home. So um, if you're creating environments and behaving in a way where discretionary effort is, is at the forefront of your thinking, like I say, not to just beat the last morsel of energy out of your people, but just to have a positive environment, then you're much less likely to be carrying people in your organization that are doing the quiet quit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure it's something that's entirely new, but like you say, maybe, it, maybe it's easier or maybe it's, I mean, it, it's also a buzzword that it's catchy in a headline too. So. It's catchy, isn't it? We all, everybody likes a catchy title. Quiet, quiet works. But but do you think, Mark? Do you think this is something that that was there? Like when you wrote the book, it was before COVID, before everybody was working hybrid or at home or whatever. Do you think it's gotten worse with COVID, and it's an issue that managers and leaders need to figure out how to identify and and to to deal with it? I mean, to Ian's point, it probably was around before people. They, the quiet quit is a catchy phrase, but people were doing the minimum to keep their job uh, and get their paycheck. There's always, there's always been that kind of crowd. I think that it's at the forefront mm -hmm. of leaders' minds now because they're still grappling with how do you lead and manage a team that you don't, don't spend time with very often. And you can't really measure their, their output. Um, I mean, most of the research will tell you that, that actually the vast majority maintained or improved their output um during covid mm -hmm. um but but they're scared they're, they're scared that that it, it might change that people might start doing the quiet quit that they can't measure people in the same way so, so that's why so it's it's not that it's new it's more that it's uh, at the forefront of people's minds i think mm -hmm. and what do you think is the future or maybe the the the, the future of work is it 
is remote uh, the the answer? Or is it somewhere in between? I think it's con- it's context driven, isn't it? Um, you know, I, I, if I'm if I'm going to go and have a major operation, I'd probably like the surgeon to be in the same room as me. Now, I know there I know there is technology that allows you to do things uh, remotely, but it's not for everything, and and so there are some organizations where remote working is 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 going to be the the way forward indefinitely for others not and I, for the vast majority i think it will end up being a blended a blended approach you know when it first started i remember thinking well you know this must be great for this kind of new generation of workers who want that flexibility in their life but then of course i wasn't thinking that that generation doesn't necessarily have the right environment to sit at home and work uh, and we're one of the some of the first people who wanted to come back to the office. So it, it's it's context driven, and and right down to each individual, they they're going to need and want different things. It's go, it's complex to to lead though for sure. So let's switch gears and still in the context of change and you know this this punctuated equilibrium, uh, which was the term we came across last season, um, and and this time of change, I guess. Let's talk about resilience. Um, on this episode, we know we want to talk about some key elements that people need uh, and, and that leaders need as well to, to succeed in their careers. Um, and one of those, which has been talked about extensively over the last couple of years, of course, is resilience. Um, as someone that has lived and promoted, you know, resilience as, as a fundamental tool in that toolbox of skills, what are your thoughts on the spotlight that resilience has received as a skill, you know, over the last couple of years? Yeah, I think, I think my own view of it has changed and morphed slightly in that mm. I think um, I was a very much a kind of, I don't know where this, this even translates across the world, but a British stiff upper lip. Does that, does that mean anything? Okay. <laughs> that, that, it's a phrase in the UK, but it basically means you, you know, you kind of, pucker up and carry on i think bootstraps uh, is is maybe the north american right. equivalent they pull your pull up the bootstraps yeah <laughs> yeah and you and you carry on regardless and um and i think that is a is a is a dated way of thinking about things i understand mm-hmm. the, you know why people would say that but it fails to take into consideration the mental well-being and health of, of individuals and so so i think Resilience is an admirable quality, uh, but not at the expense of well-being. I think mm-hmm. sometimes organizations want you to just tough it out, tough it out, tough it out. But, mm-hmm. you know, to what end? You know, it shouldn't be at the, at the expense of the well-being of, of the employees. So, yeah. so that's, that's really, I think I have a keener eye on that, maybe because now I, I maybe work with more senior leaders or I chair some organizations that I have a quite a keen eye on. Yes, we need organizational resilience, but not at the expense of the well-being of our people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. And, and so I think my next question then is how can leaders support the resilience, the individual resilience of individuals on their team and, and the collective resilience of the team? I think there's a there's a series of things you can do to help with your resilience. You know, you want to in, encourage people to be as prepared as they can be, um, and uh, you want them to adapt quickly to new realities. You got to help them to get their head down when they need to get their head down. But at the same time, you sometimes you've got to encourage people to 
you know, get distracted and, and step out of a situation sometimes and help, help people recharge. I think that's really important. I think you have to encourage people to be really clear about the thing that they're trying to be resilient for and the end game. You know, there's, a, there's, a, there's a term in climbing uh, called false summits. Have you heard of that phrase, a false summit, where you're climbing up a mountain and you think, that's I've got to get to there, I've got to get to there, that's the top, that's the top. And you just reach the top and you realise it's actually a hill and, ah. and the summit is further on. And that, mm. that floors you. You're like, oh, my God, I've still got all this to do. So I think you've got to be really careful about what the end destination is. Mm. Um, and I guess the final thing in resilience, if I circle it all the way back to the conversation we had about my experience in Antarctica, is knowing when enough's enough. And, you know, you're not resilient to the point of total failure. You're resilient to the point of going, actually, this is a new reality. You know, I need to live to fight another day. And there's got to be an element of that as well, both both as an individual, but also as a person who's leading others. Sure, because it, it does sound like you're, the individual needs to understand their their limits. But a lot of what you're saying, the sort of modern heart-centered leadership, that needs to be communicated. Saying, guys, here's what we're doing. Here's why we're doing it. Uh, when you talk about the size of a challenge or a major project that could be overwhelming, it's up to to you to communicate here are the steps and you know let's take it one section at a time so is that right you say communication must must be a critical skill for leadership absolutely and it's it's not just that verbal communication it's how you turn up yourself you know if you turn up and you're all doom and gloom and there's a cloud over your head that it spreads you know and uh, and people start wondering well, why are they in, why have they got that headspace and they start making up their own reason why oh, well it's probably because it's all going to you know, and so you've got to understand your own shadow. Makes makes a lot yeah. of sense. So let's switch gears to inclusion. At the start of the show, you know, you mentioned that 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 inclusion is a key element across all the lines at, at Aquita. And, and similar to resilience, how has the conversation around inclusion evolved over the last couple of years? It's, it's changed an awful lot. And, and an awful lot. I, if you'd have gone back even just five years ago, you talk about diversity inclusion, people would go to diversity and then they'd go to a target that an organization has pulled out of the air on a very particular element of diversity. So, mm. you know, in North America, mm. it might be about ethnicity in, uh, and gender. In Europe, it might be gender and sexual orientation. Uh, in China, it might be understanding diversity in terms of did you come from a city or you are from a rural community and, and the diversity there. So, and it's very context specific. Uh, and, and five years ago, what I used to find frustrating was that I would have a conversation with a business leader and they would go straight down a rabbit hole of whatever mattered to them. Mm-hmm. Nine times out of 10, it was gender in, in Europe. You know, and, and they'd start talking about, well, we need to get a higher percentage of women on senior boards. I get all that, but it all it felt like it was a, to the exclusion of everybody else. So I actually backed away from talking about diversity. I know you asked me about inclusion. Mm-hmm. I started talking more about inclusion because actually I'm more interested in creating the environments mm-hmm. where people are welcome to bring their lived experiences, regardless of what they are whether it's socioeconomic or ethnicity or sexual orientation or disability, bring those lived experience to enable better conversations to help for 
better innovation to drive business performance. So that that was what interested me. And, mm-hmm. and organizations are starting to have that kind of conversation now. Do you have any real examples that showcase the power of inclusion? I mean, I'm going to put you on the spot here a bit, maybe, but. <laughs> I mean, I have I have real examples of, of me working with clients where they drop that, that has absolutely driven on performance. But I can't give you them in terms of specific client names because that uh, would no, not, no, that's okay. That's that would okay. not be appropriate. <laughs> Forget about the the group that you're trying to include. Just just put that to one side. Let's think about the environment that you would like to work in. Do you want to work in an environment, and do you think you would do a better job and work better in an environment where you felt psychologically safe, where you felt as though you could share how you felt and what you believed? And give, because of that safety, give candid feedback and receive candid feedback. Do you think you would Mm -hmm. perform better in that environment? Then the answer is probably yes. Mm -hmm. That is inclusion. Any organization where you don't have psychological safety and you can't be candid, then it's not going to be as successful. So that, to me, is what inclusion is. Mm -hmm. Now, you just then apply that to, okay, do I want to include the 50% of the population that are women. Yeah, that's a good idea because they're quite smart. Do I want to exclude or include all the ethnic groups? Well, probably for the best of my business, I should probably include them. You know, do I want to exclude the 20% of people in the world that are disabled? Let's just include them in the discussion Mm -hmm. and the decisions will be better. So so Mark, I want to jump back to um, the skills a little bit. And I want to, as I said, at the beginning of this, this conversation, uh, the 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 talk that you gave at that corporate retreat in Spain was was awesome, and I remember you mentioned something about uh, alarm clocks and how you were able to motivate yourself to get out of bed. Do you? Re- I I don't remember the specifics, but I could tell you I'm a chronic snooze button pusher, and I often do think of you when I'm saying I have to get up. And one of the things, if I'm out cycling with buddies, 100% of the time I'm going to show up. If it's just me. I do remember that. It troubles me that you think about when you're waking up, think about me when you're waking up in the morning. But um, so, yes. So so that story that I share is to do with st- trying to stay motivated. And the challenge for me when I was, uh, you know, a full-time swimmer, and I would be doing the equivalent of two marathons a week swimming, that I was exhausted, but still had to get up at 20 to 5 in the morning. And finding my motivation sometimes was tough. And I invested some time into thinking about what did motivate me. And um, I used to think that actually most people hadn't done that before. Uh, I think people assumed that everybody else has thought about what motivates them, but people didn't invest in it. I actually think after the COVID pandemic, people actually had quite a lot of time to think about what motivated them, which is part of where... The, the great resignation or the big quit or the quiet quitters, it all comes from that. People have spent time thinking about what motivates them. Um, but for me, what I realized was that if I was going to stay on track in my swimming, and this now applies to anything, is I needed to have multiple reasons to do that thing. So for your example of, you know, if I'm going to go on a cycle ride with my buddies, I'm likely to go. That's because there's more than just the, well, I want to go out because I, I need to be fit and healthy. It's actually I've got a responsibility to the people and they're going to be waiting for me. So there's two reasons already there. Um, 
so so whenever I've got anything difficult to do to help me stay on track, try and have as many reasons to do it as possible. And if they're robust enough and they're from a, a broad enough range, then there should always be something that keeps me on track. It, it's never it's never all of them. Sometimes it's only one of them. Um, but if they're varied enough, it'll keep you moving forward. No, that's great. And and one thing I one change I've made again, I tend to be pretty motivated, but I need I need reasons as well. So I, I like how you explained it. Uh, I've actually moved my phone, which is my alarm as well, into the bathroom. So when it goes off, there's you can't reach it. I get in there, turn the bathroom light on, and damn, my day is, uh, has started. So uh, yeah, that's I do that. Little... If I've got a flight. If I've got a flight, that's what I do. Hundred percent. Yeah. So so Mark, just talking about developing that that sort of robust toolbox of, of skills, particularly for, we, we've talked a lot about leaders and, and leadership, but particularly for young professionals um, that are navigating their careers, maybe planning a next step or, or planning, thinking about, uh, about, about, the develop, about their development. What are some other critical skills that, that young professionals in particular, perhaps, should really focus on developing? So if I think about the things that impacted me the most, it was the need to listen more than I talk. But obviously some people are quieter than others. So I would, I would expand that to say, if you're the kind of person that likes to talk, listen more. Mm-hmm. If you're the kind of person who likes to stand on the fringes and just watch and listen, talk more. So basically just get more balanced engagement into what's going on deliver things with positive intent and assume that other people are doing the same and find ways to give that critical, positive, radical candor uh, feedback and encourage others to do the same to you. Let, let me just to touch on that for one second in terms of, um, I, I would say with, with COVID, there's sort of a tendency, d- depending on you know the industry and where you are, to, to be more pessimistic coming out of it. How do you remain optimistic or how do you, how do you get yourself in a mindset that that's positive, you know, meaningfully positive? I'm a big fan of, um, I mean, I'm not naturally a positive person. I have to say, I think, I think I'm, I'm naturally a depressive type person. Uh, that said, I am um, pretty good at redefining the new reality. So rather than dwell on the negative, I would go, okay, this isn't great, but this is the new reality. Let, you know, we, we, move, we go from here. Um, and and, and I, think, I think people lost sight of that because the reality was so alien. They didn't know how to, you know, redefine where they are. So people, some people were really slow just accepting that you're working from home and it's going to be online. Uh, and then, and then, and now people are some people are slower going back to work. It, it's just this is a reality. How do we make the best of the situation? Um, yeah, that's 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 certainly how I'm trying to position it. I, I don't know whether that. I think there's still an element of pessimism, and realism in me, but but at least I kind of draw a line and go right. Let's move on from here. How how important do you think that uh, physical activity and, and fitness and swimming, cycling, that sort of thing? How important is that to get your body moving? How does that correlate to a positive mental state? Uh, well, there's, there's a huge amount of research about about the, the the benefits, not just from a physical 
sense, but from a mental well-being sense of getting out and moving and, you know, right from your kids walking to school and therefore being more engaged into the first classes of the day all the way through to the likes of you and I, um, you know, not just sitting at their desk and, and talking all day. So, so yeah, this, this it's, it's, it's huge. It's huge. And, and uh, I'd like to say I was brilliant at it, but I, I certainly do less than I used to. Mm-hmm. There's an element of, I think, self-awareness uh, that, that's, that's critical with both, you know, your personal, your, your current state in terms of, you know, needing exercise or sleep or to get up and take a walk. Um, right to, you know, like you said, with, with, I guess, you know, knowing who you are in terms of, okay, well, if I'm a quiet person, then maybe I need to try to engage more. So I think that that importance of, you know, mindfulness and, and, and self-discovery and awareness, I think is, is a vital piece as well. Absolutely. I mean, when I'm doing exec coaching, the, the, one of the key things, well, the two key things really are that get focused on are let's address your lack of self-awareness. A lot of senior execs become increasingly, they lose that self-awareness, partly because people don't give them the feedback that they require, um, because the higher you go, the lonelier it is, they, you know, is, is the, mm. the well-known phrase. Uh, and, and to go back to inclusion, let's also think about how you can be more inclusive to the people around you. Because um, those, two, those two things kind of go hand in hand. They become very self-absorbed and that they're not as inclusive as they might be. And they're the two things that I spend most of my time discussing with senior execs. This has been a fantastic conversation, Mark, uh, and we appreciate your, uh, you, you sharing your experience and your insights with us. Where can people uh, go to find out a little bit more about yourself and Equita? You can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, it's Mark Woods with a C, Mark with a C, Woods with an S. Um, I've got a personal website, which is markwoods.com and then equida is spelled e-q-u-i-i-d-a and it's equida.com and you can get in touch with me on any of those we always like to ask uh one last question before we let our audience go if there's one piece of advice you'd like to give to our audience for for anybody no matter where they are in their ten thousand day career journey uh what would that be So I'm going to misquote a Greek scholar called Epictetus, who said, you have two ears and one mouth, use them in that proportion. Ah, (laughs) love it. Yeah, thank you, Mark. Uh, Great to see you again. And I look forward to uh, when we meet at the next coffee machine somewhere in uh, in Europe. Excellent. I always need help finding a coffee machine. Thanks again to Mark for joining us on this episode and thank you the listeners for tuning in. Yeah, and Mark is as inspiring as I remember he was in person when I first met him. I'm really happy that he agreed to come on the podcast and share his experiences and insights with us. On the next episode, we connect with Jennifer Spencer, who is a wellness consultant and founder of Pause and Expand. On this episode, we'll dive into important topics around mental health and well-being in the workplace and also take part in a pause and expand meditation exercise, so stay tuned for that. A reminder that this season of 10,000 Days is brought to you by To Be Determined, who are there to support you with your career coaching and guidance needs. 
head to tobedetermined.ca to learn more. This has been the 10,000 Days Podcast, and we'll see you soon.